going on. Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. And uh, we're going to continue our series, The Parables of Christ, tonight. And I'm looking forward to preaching this message on the parable of the sower. It's a two-part message. We're going to talk about uh, the parable itself, the setting, different things like that. And then next week, we're going to get into the different kinds of soils. We're going to get into that next week. And, but tonight, we're going to focus on the parable itself. And so Matthew chapter number 13 If you look at verse number one with me, and we're going to read here down through uh, verse nine, Matthew chapter number 13, verse one, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the sea side and uh, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the what? The shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the what? Wayside, and the fowls came, those are birds, they came and they devoured them up. And some some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were what? Scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And others fell into what? Good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Jesus says, let him hear. Last week, we began the series on the parables of Christ with the question, why would Jesus choose to speak in parables? And we have confidence in Christ that his omnipotent wisdom and his wisdom He knows the best way to communicate truth to us through his word. And so Christ was teaching in a brand new way. Instead of the powerless dirges of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus Christ would use parables or short word pictures designed to teach us spiritual truth, designed to teach us doctrine. We looked last week at why Jesus chose parables. First, he chose parables because they were relatable. They're relatable. Everyone can understand the meaning of a parable from the farmer to the lawyer and everybody in between. They could catch the truth. It was relatable. Secondly, the parables were revealing because the truths were deeper. You had to look deeper into the truth to see the meaning. The real seekers, those who wanted to know the true gospel, would be revealed by the fact that they would have to seek Christ to know the truth. We also learned that these parables were repeatable. While Christ was flying under the radar, if you will, preaching and teaching in this metaphorical style, keeping himself out of trouble, he also was able to say everything that he needed us needed to say for us to know truth and doctrine and could repeat these things around the world. So tonight, <clears throat> we're introduced to our first parable, the parable of the sower. Would you join me in prayer as we begin? Father, I pray that you would open our hearts tonight, open our understanding. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these parables. Thank you, Lord, that we could learn about you. You did not leave us, uh, Lord, wondering what we're supposed to do, wondering what we're supposed to think. You give us your word to study. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you'd help remove all distractions out of our hearts, out of our minds, and help us to focus on your word for just a few minutes, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Each parable we study, I I hear a little bit of a ring, Rob, just so you know back there. Each parable we study will have a main point. Every parable has a main point, a main doctrinal point, but there can be several applications made when it comes to a parable. 
Like biblical truth, any biblical truth we read in the Bible, when we study parables, much like when we're studying Revelation and different passages, we must be careful to balance biblical context with everything that we read. If you take something out of context, you can make it say all kinds of weird things. I've heard pastors preach on why, you know, you shouldn't wear, you know, short socks and and all kinds of weird stuff like that. And, And if you go too far, you can get weird things out of the Bible that aren't there. And can I just say that there's plenty in the Bible that is there. We don't need to make stuff up. And all God's people said, amen to that. <laughs> and so I've heard it all, so have you, but we ought to be careful to, uh, to put it within context of the passage, applying cultural circumstances and heavenly meanings to the passage to get to the truth that Jesus is trying to convey. It's important, it's important to not get carried away with extra biblical meanings when it comes to parables. Like all biblical truth, as we study the context, God will reveal to us the truth based on the contextual evidence that we're reading. What I'm trying to say is God will show you what it means, and you don't need to go much farther than that. Amen? You know, we don't need to be those kind of churches that has all kinds of weird things, you know, biting people's snakes and all these different things. And, and anyway, amen, brother. Hermano Gaona. Brother, thank you so much for driving that bus. Such a blessing, such a blessing. So tonight we start the parable of the sower. Who is Jesus talking about? What is the main point of the parable of the sower? Who is he talking to? All these things we're going to find out tonight. So number one, if you're taking notes, let's first talk about the setting of the parable. The setting of the parable. The same day they went, uh, the same day went Jesus out of the house and he sat by the what? The seaside. How many like going to the beach? I love it. Thank God we live in California, go to the beach, and, and I love sitting next to the sea, and, and I, love, I love seafood and all those kinds of things. And here's Jesus. He goes out to the beach and a beautiful setting. He, there he is. Who is he speaking to? That's letter A. Who is Jesus speaking to? To understand that, let's take our Bibles and go over to Matthew chapter 12, one chapter back, uh, back into Matthew. We're in Matthew 13, so let's go to Matthew chapter number 12. Look at verse 24. But when the what? Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth, uh, doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Can you imagine the audacity to tell Jesus Christ that he's satanic? Think about that. And that's basically what they're saying here, verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Boy, America could learn from that. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. In the previous chapter of Matthew, chapter number 12, we see the true colors of the Pharisees finally come out as they full-on reject Jesus Christ. They basically say, they go from uh, arguing with him and kind of going back and forth with trying to trap him, get him caught in his words, to basically coming out straight out and saying, you're of the devil. And what happens is something very important takes place in Matthew, chapter number 12. Israel as a nation rejects Christ, just like the prophets said they would. Just like Jesus himself said they would. Luke chapter number nine, I will be rejected of the elders. And so this is the point in time when they're really rejecting him. Their true colors are coming out. So Jesus turns his attention from arguing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees to then now he's teaching the people. He's talking to groups of people that aren't just Jews. He's talking to all kinds of people, Gentiles and, and, and all kinds of people here on this in this setting. It's important because at this point, 
Christ chooses his attention. He chooses to turn his attention from the nation of Israel and begins to pour out his attention on what will become his church. That's you and me. And all God's people said, 2,000 years later, here we are. We are the church. I said, we are the church. That's you and I. Matthew chapter 13, we find Christ. He gives his first parable to these people who are coming to him for truth. Now we know that this mass of people were coming to him for all kinds of different reasons, all different walks of life, and they were coming to him. Maybe some were coming to be healed or just kind of see what was going on, but they're coming to him. And by the way, it reminds me a little bit like church today. We have people come for all kinds of different reasons. Some people come because they're looking for a ride. Some people are coming because they need money. Some people come because they need help with their marriage. Some people come just because they want to check it out, but they come. And guess what happens when they come? They should hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they're coming to Christ. And so we see this this setting here. We see who he's talking to. Ultimately, 2,000 years later, Jesus is talking to us. Let her be here. Where is Jesus speaking from? The great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Picture with me this scene, the multitudes as they're thronging around Christ pushing him to the water's edge. This following that has been gathering, this group that had been gathering had grown so large that it literally was pushing Christ back. Now this is on Lake Gisineret or the Sea of Galilee. I find it interesting that in the past, Bible critics would use the the two phrases to say that there was a mistake made in the Bible until they figured out that two different cultures call the Sea of Galilee two different things. The Bible doesn't make mistakes. As they figured this out. Amen. That's a good thing. Jesus stands here on the beach and these crowds are gathering around. Some, as I said, they're looking for food and some are just looking to maybe get healed, but they begin to push Jesus back to the water's edge. But Jesus knows this is going to happen. He is not caught off guard. He knows there's a little boat there. And so he gets on the boat and he pushes out a little bit into the water. And in his omnipotence, he understands that the gentle slopes of the land and the water would act as an amplification tool. And as Christ sat down and gently began to teach the multitudes, everybody heard him clearly. Jesus and his listeners, they were surrounded. Think about this by farms and vineyards, gentle slopes surrounding the Sea of Galilee. No doubt there were sheep and cattle feeding on the hills, men and women working in the fields and Some were in fishing boats, swaying off into the distance. Many of those that were present listening to Christ worked in these fields. They cared for the sheep. They they worked on fishing boats. They were regular people, and they understood as Jesus began to use this illustration, they understood it very well. No doubt, many of these people listening had shooed birds away as they tried to uh, seed their uh, their fields or whatever in their backyards. And my wife and I, we have fruit trees at the house and we have these pesky blue jays, man. Nasty birds, nasty birds. And uh, once in a while, I'll come home from work and, and there would be my beautiful wife with a BB gun out in the backyard trying to pick them off, you know? And uh, she's a pretty good shot. And, uh, you know, but, but birds, they come and they eat the fruit and they, they take things and they, they do what they're not supposed to do. So these people understand that. They live in this agrarian society. So all of these people, Christ is pulling from the scenery around them to explain this parable. So we see the setting of the parable. Then number two, we get into the, uh, we get into the sower of the parable. So now we have the setting. We're at the Sea of Galilee. 
Gisenaret, Jesus is there in a boat. The people are gathered around and he begins to talk about the sower. Look at verse three with me. And he spake many things unto them in parables saying, behold, a sower went forth to sow. I love this part because there's no real special significance given to the sower. No recognition. The sower in this case could be anyone sowing the seed. The sower represents all of those who would, who would throw out the seed of the word of God. Is it the pastor's job to throw out the seed of the gospel? Is it the pastor's job? Yes, yes it is. Is it the missionary's job? Yes. Somebody like, is this a trick question? Yes. Uh, is it the missionary's job? Yes. Is it the evangelist's job? Yes. Is it your job? Yes. Absolutely. It's all of our jobs. There's, uh, it's, no, we don't have Brother Asprelli. He's the pastor of throwing the seed. And Brother Gonzalez is the pastor of sitting behind a desk. That's not how it works. We're all uh, involved in this sowing process. We're all part of the sowing team. Every Christian. We know letter A here that Christ is the chief sower. We understand that Christ is the Lord of the harvest. He is the chief sower. As Christ sent forth his followers to spread the gospel, Matthew says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, for it is not, uh, for it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father, which speaketh in you. We understand that it is Christ and his power that sends us out in our commission to spread the seed. Acts chapter number one, verse eight, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the world. Yes, it's our job to sow the seed of the gospel, but it's the power of Christ in us that allows us to sow the seed properly. You see, it is not us that makes the seed sprout but it is the power of God. The seed that germinates in the heart is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I toss the seed, but the Son of God shines His everlasting light on the seed and the warmth of His glow on that seed causes the seed to sprout. It is not my ability that causes the seed to sprout and that ought to take the pressure off of you because most of us don't have that good of ability, but we don't need to. Because it is not my ability that causes the seed to sprout. It is only my responsibility to throw the seed. The sower's job is to faithfully, systematically, relentlessly, passionately throw out the seed. But we cannot make one kernel sprout. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. All we can do is faithfully throw, faithfully throw. Say that 10 times fast. Faithfully throw. All we can do is faithfully throw, but it is the chief shepherd who cracks the heart and sends the root of the gospel into the heart. He is the chief sower. I said he is the chief sower. Lest we think that it is our job to save people, it is not. It is Christ's doing. It is his power that does it. This is why, as sowers, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And as you go out, and hopefully you go out and tell people about Christ when you can, you ought to do your best to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That bus got fixed not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit of God. Anything good that happens is not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit of God. He is the chief sower. But let her be, we are the chosen sowers. We are the chosen sowers. Acts chapter number 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, talking about Paul, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me 
to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. We see that Paul was called to be a chosen vessel to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The Lord does, Ephesians tells us, gives us some pastors and some apostles and some evangelists and some teachers. And yes, these are gifts to the church for the perfecting of the saints. But listen, my friends, it is our duty. It is our duty to spread the seed. It's our duty. It is a privilege to be a part of God's purpose. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a part of God's purpose. It's not a drag. It's not a drag. Oh man, I got to go out, try this, go out soul winning again. I got to do this again. It's not a drag. It's a privilege. It really burns me up when I hear pastors and other assistant pastors. Most of them are younger, not all of them. Some of them are older. Oh, soul winning doesn't work anymore. And, you know, going door to door doesn't work anymore. I want to tell you something. It doesn't work because you're too lazy to go and you sit behind your desk and you don't go tell others about Christ. That's why it doesn't work. Don't look at me like that. And all God's people said, amen. I tell you what, when I go out and I have enough courage, and by the way, I don't always. And when I get over my laziness and sometimes I got to throw the keys out the window. And when I get over my uh, 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 insecurities, which are many, and I tell people about Christ, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with whether this thing works anymore because the power of Christ is the one who causes the seed to sprout. And all you have to do is drop the seed. Drop the seed. It is our duty, and it's a privilege. Arthur Pink said this. My dad gave me this quote. A little child may drop a seed as effectively as a man. And the wind may carry it and accomplish as much as if an angel had planted it. You see, all we need to do is throw the seed. Amen. Just throw the seed. Friends, you and I tonight are the sowers. You may not be smart. You may not be rich. You may not be talented. Join the club. You may not be the first in class. You may not be the most likely to succeed, but you can be a sower. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We are sowers. God has not chosen to shake the gospel seed over the nations himself. God has not chosen to send the gospel seed by the hand of angels. God has chosen to send the seed through us. Amen. It is not our power that makes the seed germinate. It is not our power to cause the seed, to cause the ground to receive the seed. Sometimes I walk away from an interaction and I feel disappointed that I didn't win somebody to the Lord, and I have to remind myself, that's not my job. My job is just to give the seed. Sometimes people come here for years, and, and they don't get saved until later on. And sometimes uh, you talk to people, and boy, it's like an apple you touch, and it falls off the tree in your hand. It's not our job. We're, it's not our place to germinate the seed, but it is our place to spread it. Here's a thought for you. We are sowers. Bump, 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 bump. That'll be stuck in your head for the rest of the week. Amen. <laughs> How are we doing in the sewing department? Lastly tonight, we all, we, well, not lastly, but here next, we see here that we see the setting of the parable. We see the sower in the parable. Let's talk about the seed for just a moment. The seed. Look at verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. Now, we see here the, the, the seed. What is it? What is Jesus talking about exactly when he means the seed? Take your Bibles over to Mark chapter number 4. These are parallel passages of the same parable. And we can kind of get a glimpse into what Christ is talking about. I think it for us, have been Christians a long time, maybe. Uh, we've been going to church for, for a few years. We might know what, what this is, means. But for those maybe who are new, what is Christ talking about 
when he's talking about the seed. Look at Mark chapter 4, look at verse 14. The sower soweth the what? The words. Everyone hold up your Bible now. All right, everybody there? Yep. This is the word, amen? Amen. Amen. This is the word. All right, go to Luke chapter number 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter number 8. 8 verse 11. I preached a little bit. I'm about ready for a hot dog now, amen? (laughs) Or two. Luke chapter number 8, look at verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the what? The word of God. It's very clear that the seed is talking about the word of God. We clearly see that. Before we move on from the point too quickly, may I just remind us that the power of the seed comes from the Word of God. The Word of God. Music is great. Graphics are fine. They help. Buildings are nice. But if the church becomes nothing but a bunch of fog machines and strobe lights and fancy graphics and hipster jargon and nice buildings and feel-good messages, and it doesn't have the Word of God, it's going to lose its power. Now, I'm not, against the, you know, I'm not against some of these things. Now, don't get me wrong. I like nice chairs. I like to sit in a nice chair. I like pleasing colors. Amen? I, I don't want to look like a church in the 70s. That's not my goal here. You know, there's okay. Graphics are great and all these things. But what brings power is the Word of God. In, our, in, in my messages and in our life and anything that we do, it ought to be saturated with God's Word because that's where the power comes from. If you have all the bells and whistles, if a church has all the bells and whistles, but has dropped, has dropped the word of God from, from their messages or from their music, the word of God has been dropped and it loses its power. Yes, there are different ways to get people to come to church. We understand that. There's promotions and programs and things that we do. But if you cannot find the word of God in a church, there's something wrong with that. And all God's people said, I don't know how many people over the years, we're not a perfect church, we're still doing our best trying to, trying to work through things. But I don't know how many people came over the years and said, Pastor, what I like about your messages is there's a lot of Bible in your messages. From, come from other church. And I always think to myself, where are you going? You know, Do they not have Bible? I guess they don't. I'm just saying, if you go to a place, you ought to get plenty of Bible. Psalms 126, verse 6, He that goeth forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing, him, bringing his sheaves with us. Yes, we can feed people. And yes, we can put clothes on people's backs. And yes, we can dig wells and buy shoes and clean up neighborhoods and ladle soup. And yes, we can help people quit drinking. And yes, we can build homes. And yes, we can counsel marriages. And yes, well, we can't do this, but some churches provide yoga classes. And yes, some churches do drive-in movies. But unless we have the seed of the Word of God, we will not get to the heart of man. I only mentioned yoga classes because my wife was driving by a church the other day. They had a yoga class out front. But anyway... We're not against community programs and charity work. Don't get me wrong. We, we, I think it's a Christian's responsibility to help people. You can say amen there. We ought to, we ought to help people as much as we can. <clears throat> we ought to pick up trash. and We ought to do things like that. But listen, the seed of the word of God is where the power comes from. It's God's word that has power. So if you clean up somebody's yard, drop some of the seed of the word of God as you do it. If you buy somebody lunch, leave them with a gospel track as you do it. Amen. It's the seed of the word of God. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't get me wrong tonight, please. Don't get me wrong tonight. That doesn't mean that we're mean or we don't help people. We do those kinds of things. And as we do those things, though, we must have the word of God. So lastly tonight, we see the seed. We see the sower. We see the setting. Lastly tonight, let's talk about the soil for just a moment. And then next week, we're going to talk about the different types of soils and what Jesus is talking about. So look at verse 4 with me, back in Matthew chapter number 13. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. Some fell in stony places and had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Uh, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. When the word of God is preached, when, God, when the Bible is given, it could be in any context. It could be you reading the Bible on your own in your home and the word of God is working in your heart. It could be in church, listening to the pastor or in a Sunday school class. But when the word of God is preached, whether it's in a church service or on the street corner or whatever, the word of God falls on the heart of men. It falls on the heart of men. Jesus is illustrating here a spiritual truth that we would not know unless he told us. And that is God can see the decision of every man, whether they accept or reject the gospel. Jesus is telling us that I can see whether somebody accepts or rejects the gospel. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in what other people see about us, but God sees our heart and what we've done with the gospel. Only God can see and only God can judge the heart. Have you ever thought about this? That God knows your heart tonight? Well, I'm saved. Why are you saved? Don't try to convince me. Don't try to convince your parents or whoever. Talk to God about that. Your heart. Young people, look up here. Look at Pastor. God knows your heart and what you've done with the gospel. As, God, as the gospel has been preached to you, God sees it. God knows when we reject his word. Every time a man or a woman rejects the gospel, God knows about it. Jesus is giving insight into the mind of the creator. He sees the heart. The soil of the parables represents the types of hearts that men can have when receiving the word of God. I'm sure that there's many different ways you could go with this, but Christ gives four examples of the types of soil or the type of heart there is. There's the soil of the wayside. And we're going to talk about that next week. Then there's the soil of the stony places. Then there's the soil of the thorny places. Then there's the soil of the good ground. The truth here is that the seed of the word of God never changes. The gospel never changes. In 2,000 years, it's never changed. The gospel is the same. The seed doesn't change, but hearts are different. You might talk to a person... And like I said earlier, it's like, it's like that overripe fruit. You just touch it and it kind of falls in your hand. Some people are ready to accept Christ. It's the good ground. And boy, their life changes and they, they, start, to, they start to see what the Christ working in their life. And, and you see that in them. And it's like, it's a miracle in front of your eyes watching God work in someone's life. That's the good ground. And then there's other types of ground, but the seed doesn't change. And we must realize tonight that the soil or the hearts of men respond in a variety of different ways. And how they respond, we cannot control. 
1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 6. Paul says, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He's the one that causes it to grow. I'll close with this. At my house, my wife and I like to garden. And well, she likes to garden. I like to help her. Anyway, no, we like to garden. And uh, we have all kinds of different plants and stuff. And this last year, I wanted, we wanted to plant beans and corn. And so I went out to there. I got the tractor there and I plowed it up, got it all nice and plowed up. And then I got a, a furrow maker for the tractor and I, and I drove the tractor, made nice straight furrows. And then I went to uh, Horizon and I got some, some drip lines and I hooked up this drip system. It was a lot of work. I got it all, I got it all hooked up and drip lines. And, and, you know, I wanted to save a dollar by not getting the pre-drip system. So I poked a hole in all of mine. Have you ever done that? Don't do it. Just buy the extra, pay the extra. And so I did all that, got it all hooked up, got the timer, got all, got the timing just right. Then my wife came out and her and my boys, they started planting those seeds. That's a lot of work, planting seed by hand, sowing seed by hand. And we did all that. We planted all that seed. And then we began to water that. We began to water that and, and watch stuff grow. It's an amazing thing. And then all of a sudden, in this one section where we were trying to grow something, I can't remember we were trying to grow, and all of a sudden weeds started coming up. And I mean, it looked like a Chia pet. <laughs> I mean, literally overnight, it was just like, I mean, the whole row, just these nasty crab, all this, and it's almost, you can't even pull it out of the ground, you know? And all these things, and, 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 and here, over here, some spots, the corn grew good, and some spots didn't grow so good. And, and over here, you know, we got some beans over here, but all these beans got choked out. You see, we did all of the work. We planted all the things, but it grew the way it grew. It grew the way it grew. And may I just say that we cannot cause the seed to grow in someone's life. And all God's people said, Amen. we can throw the seed, we can water the seed. We could try to be a blessing and be an encouragement, bring people to church and disciple them and pray for them and encourage them and call them and text them and let them know that we care about them and take them meals and do everything that we can, but we cannot cause the seed to grow. We must do our best to prepare the soil, to provide the seed, we can even reseed and reseed and reseed. We can add water. We can add fertilizer. But at the end of the day, God's the one that gives the increase. So tonight, as we see the setting of the parable, the sower, that's you and I, the seed, which is the word of God, and the soil, the hearts of men. Next week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper, but I want to encourage you to be a sower tonight. Heads bowed and eyes are closed.